It is so good um, to be back with you again. If you were um, if you were here last week, you know that we are taking these two weeks to look at that little book of Haggai. It's this amazingly profound prophecy that we find at the at the end of the Old Testament. And so, before we jump into the second chapter today, and as you perhaps find your way um, to this small book, uh, let me just remind you of what we heard last week in our time together. Last week, we, we saw the people of Israel were refusing to build the temple even after God had brought them back out of exile. And, and the reason that that is significant is because in the Old Testament, the temple represented the presence of God with his people. So in essence, by, by refusing to build this temple, they were refusing to cultivate the presence of God um, in their lives. And, and we realize that that is often true. Um, of us as well, right? How often we fail to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. How often we just concern ourselves with with other things, with, with our own desires, and, and we forget all about God's presence. And so the words of, of Haggai the prophet ring true to us as they did to them. And he challenges us to, to put aside our excuses and to begin to get busy with that work of knowing God. And so we ended last week with these really practical suggestions that we might put into our lives to begin to do that. We said we ought to read the Word of God, but we ought to read it in such a way that it actually invites the presence of God, um, right? Not intending to, to check a box or to solve some theological argument. We said that we, we might cultivate the presence of God by, by praying, but doing so in these simple conversations that we have with God, just being with Him being with other people as well who are also interested in the presence of God in their, in their own lives. And then we talked about those pictures that he's given us, things like creation itself, but also last week we, we thought about the sacraments and the way that, that pictures for us um, his grace in our lives. And so as chapter 1 ended, we see the people of Israel beginning to actually build and so I hope that in, in the same way that they repented, that this last week is a, a week for us to, to begin uh, this process of repenting and, and beginning for the first time or, or freshly beginning to cultivate God's presence. In chapter 2, this morning we're going to find a little bit of encouragement to us to, to keep going, to continue doing that work. Um, Haggai's going to give us some reasons, pointing out for us three things that we receive from God. Uh, when we are busy about understanding who he is and living in his presence. So our reading this morning is the, the whole second chapter of Haggai. Uh, if you're using those pew Bibles, it's on page 1006. Uh, it's also on the screens behind me. Listen here to God's word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I'll I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will find, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of their garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. And yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing But from this day on, I will bless you. And the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you pay very much attention to time statements when you, when you read scripture, but they're actually a really interesting part of the story. So, so in the book of Haggai, we see four time statements. The, the first one is the very first verse of the book. Uh, it tells us that Haggai's first prophecy, the one that we, we looked at last week, it came on the first day of the sixth month, which is not particularly important, um, until we get to the end of the chapter And we see that this people's active repentance doesn't begin until the 24th day 
of the same month. I think we, I think we might be tempted to, to just read scripture so quickly. And, and we think that what happens is that they just heard and then just immediately repented. But, but that's not what happened at all. In fact, it, it seems they probably heard this multiple times. They probably just refused to repent. They, they continued to suffer in the absence of God's presence until finally, weeks later, they finally relented and repented. And, and that's encouraging because that sounds a whole lot more like my experience of conviction and repentance. And perhaps it sounds a whole lot more like yours as well. It often takes me quite a while to finally accept that God is probably right and I should probably turn things over to him. I mean, this, this very idea, this idea of, of cultivating the presence of God in our lives, this is something the Lord has been convicting me of for, for weeks. So, so weeks ago in our, in our Wednesday night college service, uh, I spoke about cultivating the presence of God. And when we talked about it, it was one of those messages where really, right, the message is just for the messenger. That's why you're preaching it. And I knew it, and I was convicted by it, and, and I just didn't care. I just didn't want to repent. And so the, so the next week, I was, I was talking on the phone to a, to a good friend of mine, and I, and I told him, I said, I feel, I feel like I am, I just like, I need to pray that God would, would give me the desire to want the desire to want to cultivate his presence. I feel like I am, I'm just steps away from where I actually need to be. And so we prayed, we prayed about it. Um, and then last week I find myself here preaching on this idea again. And, and it was then, it was then that the Lord began to convict again. And I finally, I finally repented weeks after the first go round. I finally did. And we see in this people a, a thing that we may often feel as well when we, we put off repenting until we, until we hit rock bottom. Right? You're going to get to rock bottom and then I'm going to repent. But here's the thing that I've realized. Rock bottom is not a thing. It's not a thing. Rock bottom is just a term that we use for the place we were when we finally repented. That's what it is. The reality is you hear people tell their stories and they say, I just hit rock bottom. You think, well, I mean, you probably could have kept going. Right? But like rock bottom, it just all we mean is that's as far down as I went. And so my, so my encouragement, my, my challenge to us today is I don't know where you are with your sins, but let me just say, make today rock bottom. Make this the day that you say, I'm done. I'm going to repent today. And the thing about repentance, right? On the, on the one hand, repentance is this one time thing. It's this time where we, we turn our, from pursuing ourselves and we begin to pursue Christ. But, but on the other hand, right? Repentance is a thing that is just ongoing, continual work where we just continue to pursue Christ over and over every day. And that ongoing work of repentance can, I mean, it just gets, it gets discouraging. It gets overwhelming at times. And it seems that that's what's happened here in the book of Haggai. So the, the second chapter gives us two more time statements. The, the next one comes a month later. And then the final one comes three months later. And in both of these, what Haggai is doing 
is he's speaking to a people who are getting discouraged with the work that they've set out to do. And he's providing for them some encouragement, some promises from God to keep them moving forward, to continue building, to continue cultivating the presence of God in their life. So this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to think about those two ways that we may be getting discouraged. And then we're going to consider the three promises of God. So the first reason that the people of Israel are discouraged is because they were beginning to realize that the temple that they were going to build wasn't going to be anything like the glory of the previous temple. Right? Haggai asked them in verse 3, he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? And then he says, Is it not as nothing in your eyes? There weren't very many people who were still around, but there were some who had seen the first temple. They had seen the temple of Solomon and they, and they looked then at this, at this paltry house that they were building now. And they're just ashamed of it. So and so ashamed, in fact, that they're tempted to just throw in the towel, just, just to quit, just be done with this already. If we can't build the glorious temple of our youth, then why would we build anything at all? Or maybe you've experienced that same sort of discouragement in your own life. When I was 14 years old, I was given a guitar. And I was committed to learning how to play that guitar. And so I had this poster with all the chords on it. And I would sit there in front of the poster and I would just painstakingly learn to put my fingers and then play and then fingers and play. And, and here's the thing. I wasn't any good. And, and, and my fingers hurt. And I, and I didn't like it. So about a week in, I just quit. A week. How pathetic. Right? But I wanted to be the best immediately. And when I saw that that wasn't happening, I just gave up. And these people here building the temple, they're considering doing the exact same thing. And it probably comes under this, this guise of, of religious fervor, of religious zeal, right? I mean, they just loved God so much. How could they give him anything less than the glory that he used to have? And yet in this effort to demonstrate their passion for God, they're actually running from his very presence. I mean, isn't that the way Satan does us? I mean, he's happy to tempt us with all manner of things that are just outright opposed to God. But he is also happy uh, to tempt us with our own religiosity. I mean, at the end of the day, Satan wants for God to receive nothing from us. And he doesn't really care why that happens. He just wants that to happen. And so Haggai, the prophet, comes to encourage them to keep going, to do the work that they're called to do and to trust that God would provide all the glory that this house would need. He doesn't need a temple that's going to be made shiny by us. Right? He says in verse 8, he says, all the silver is mine, all the gold is mine. Right? Friends, our, all of our work, everything that you do is going to fall short of the glory of God. But when it's done through his spirit in pursuit of his presence, he fills it with glory. And so the second type then of discouragement that we see the people facing comes three months after they started. Three months into this work and, and, and what they realize is they haven't received the blessings of God that they thought he was going to give them. 
I mean, they thought they deserved it. They've been doing what God told them to do. And so Haggai is sent to tell them that, that God doesn't work in this quid pro quo sort of way like they expected. God doesn't, again, he doesn't need a temple. God dwells in unapproachable light in heaven above. He's doing fine. But the, but the people had begun to work on this temple so they could use it as a bargaining chip with God for his blessing. That's just not the way God works. And as they discovered that, they began to get frustrated with the lack of blessings. And so the prophet is sent to tell them that the problem is that their work is polluted by sinful desires. So he gives this analogy of clean and unclean things brought before the priest. And and then he says in verse 14, he says, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hand and what they offer there is unclean. Their good work had been polluted by their own selfishness. Friends, when we think about cultivating the presence of God, we should take no thought of the benefits that we may receive, only that we would be in the presence of God himself. And so we see the people of Israel facing these two discouragements and things that we, right, we ourselves might face. But, it, but in light of that, let's turn our attention then to the three promises of God in this chapter. And so there are blessings that are promised to the people who would pursue God's presence from this place of, of genuine desire to know him. And, and actually, there's, there's a relationship with, with our last point there. In our last point, we saw that, that God doesn't work in this quid pro quo sort of way. But, but our text does tell us that one of the promises of God for those who cultivate his presence is physical blessings. Right? And, that, and that doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering or, or loss. It doesn't mean that he's going to make us materially rich. And in fact, in fact, if we consider the whole counsel of God's word, it, it seems to be that the reason that God's purpose in giving us material blessings is so that we would then bless others by giving them away. Right? The people of God are meant to be this, this river of blessing, not just a retaining pool. And it seems that people who cultivate the presence of God find themselves with plenty to give away, even though they have much less than other people. And so in Haggai here, the people of God had refused to cultivate the presence of the Lord. They just let the temple just rot away. They were not concerned with their relationship with God. And what happened? Well, their crops withered, their their storehouses failed. We're, We're told in verse 15, God says, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When you came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When you came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. In other words, there was never enough. They were always found wanting. He goes on to say that the things that they did have were struck with mildew and and blight and, and hail They sought after their own kingdoms. And and what they found is that neither did they have the presence of God, nor was their kingdom blessed. But now, but now the Lord points out that since they have been seeking his presence, they will find that their crops fare much 
better. Not just fare better, but, but overwhelmingly be blessed by him. Why? Because they've sought his face. They've sought his kingdom and not their own. I mean, isn't this what Jesus tells us in Matthew? Seek first the kingdom of God and, and all of these things will be added unto you. Well, what are those things? Well, the verse right above it says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So the things that you needn't worry about are these physical blessings like clothes and and food and drink. What do you do instead? You seek the kingdom of God. You cultivate the presence of God. And when we seek his glory and his kingdom, then he takes care of the rest. He provides the rest. Am I saying that if you... If you just will seek God's presence that you'll never have to work another day in your life because you'll just be overflowing with blessings? No. What I am saying is that when we seek God's presence, he provides for us often through the very work that we're called to do. We see this in Haggai here. He asks them this question. Is the seed yet in the barn? In other words, here's God's question. Have you planted the seeds yet? Have you done the work that I told you to do? Plant the seeds, because I'm going to bless the seeds, so plant them. The physical blessings of the Lord come when we do that which God has commissioned us to do. But remember, if you're following the Lord in anticipation of physical blessing, you aren't actually following the Lord. You're following a blessing. And so what we, what we need to do is when we think about cultivating the presence of God, take no thought, take no thought of the benefits that you may receive only that you would be in the presence of God himself. That's the better blessing. The blessing of the presence of the Lord. It's, it's actually the second thing that, that we see here in our text, God's promising to them. The promise is that if we will cultivate his presence, he'll give it to us. When you see in our text, verse 4, he says, work, for I am with you. Right? In, in verse 5, he reminds them, my spirit remains in your midst. In, in, in verse 7, he says, I'm going to fill this house with glory. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about his presence. The same way that he filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40. The same way that he filled the first temple in 1 Kings 8. He's going to fill it with his glory and with his presence. God promises us that if we desire to know him, he will make himself known. If we seek him, he will be found, right? I mean, Matthew 7 says, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. If you seek him, you will find him. He's not hiding. He longs to be found. And friends, this is all over the place in scripture. Deuteronomy 4, 29 We're told that you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. The psalmist tells us that God is actually looking for people to be looking for him. Psalm 14, 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. In Acts 17, Paul is giving this sermon. In the midst of the sermon, he says that the reason that God interacts in our lives is to prompt us to seek him 
and perhaps to feel our way towards him and find him. And if that sounds like God is hiding, I should remind you that the next thing he says in that passage is yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. We're told in Hebrews eleven six that God rewards those who seek him. What would the reward be for seeking? What would be allowing those who are seeking you to find that which they're seeking? The question isn't, will God bless us with his presence? The question is, do we want it? Will we pursue it? Right, so, so last week we talked about these ways that we might go about pursuing the presence of God, but this last week I've been, I've been convicted of another, perhaps actually an, an even more precise connection to our text here in Haggai, and it's this, that if we cultivate the presence of God in our lives, we would be joining him in his work of evangelism and missions, Right? I mean, what are the people told to do in the days of Haggai? They're told to build up the temple. Okay. But then we're told, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that the church now is the temple of God. So how would we now go about building up the temple of God? We'd be growing the church. We'd be sharing the gospel. We'd be seeing people saved. That's how the temple grows. And what's amazing is that that command in Haggai to build the temple, it's accompanied right by that promise that God is with them. Right, Verse 4, work, for I am with you. But the, the same thing happens in the New Testament. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. That is, share the gospel. See people saved. See the church built up. And what's going to happen? Verse 20, Jesus tells us, I'm with you. You do that work, I'm with you always. So if you're finding yourself without the presence of God in your life, let me suggest that perhaps it's because you're not sharing the gospel. Because God is about building up his church and his kingdom, and if you want to be a part of it, then join him in that. And if you're worried that your work of evangelism just won't be good enough, if you're worried that it won't be glorious enough, remember, when we do God's work, he's the one that fills it with his glory. God promises us his presence when we are doing his work, when we're living for his mission. It's true in Haggai, and it's true today as well. So God promises, hey, if you will cultivate my presence in all these ways, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you physical blessings for sure, but more importantly, in the midst of the work, I am going to give you myself. And then finally, in our passage, we're told that he will bless us with a vision for this work. It's often the case that we have a much smaller vision than God does. We see it here in Haggai. The Israelites certainly have a small vision of this temple. Right? But God, by his mercy, begins to unveil this infinitely more profound plan. When they confess that when they look at the temple, it seems like nothing in their sight, God responds and he says, the latter glory of this house will be bigger, will be greater, will be better than the former glory. In this chapter, God just begins to unveil for us the glory that he will bring, not just to the Israelites, but to all his people through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He will be the glory that's in the temple. How will the, the glory of the temple be better? It's because of Jesus. Right? This is the temple, the one they're building right here. That's the temple that Jesus is going to walk around in 550 years later. And here's the truth, right? Jesus is the glory of God. Right? That's what John 1 says. Right? The word, Jesus, becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And, and here's what happened. We've seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The glory of God is seen in the temple, in the person of Jesus. And and, and one day, one day it'll be even more. When Jesus returns with with his power to establish this kingdom that's going to be over all the earth, this vision of this eternal, glorious reign of Christ over all, that's the vision that God begins to unpack for his people here in Haggai. So if we look back at verses 6 to 9, here's what he says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations will come in. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 9 he says, And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The author of Hebrews actually gives us commentary on this statement. He says, here's what he means. He's pointing us forward to a, a final shaking when all that is opposed to God would be removed, all that's on earth that's opposed to him will be removed and he's going to establish for us a kingdom that can never be shaken. He's going to establish then a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where his presence itself will dwell with his people. And here's what the book of Revelation says, in that city, he himself is the temple. That's what's happening. And into that city, The book of Revelation says all the nations of the world will bring in all of their glory, will bring in all of their treasures, just like Haggai says. The treasures of all nations will come in. I'm going to fill this house with glory. The glorious presence of God is with his people, and from that comes out peace, as he says in verse 9. That's the vision the vision that God has for this temple and for his people, and it's all realized in Jesus. That's what those final verses are talking about. If you look down at verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow their chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone, by the sword of his brother. And then catch this. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What is happening? What's, it's telling us that God is going to shake off all of his enemies, and when he does, he's going to establish a new king. And then he tells us who it is. 
He says he's going to make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. That term, signet ring, it's, it's a way that God indicates that he's giving authority over to a king. So what he's saying is that one day, He's going to give the authority back to the line of Zerubbabel, the son of David. He took it away when they went into exile. Jeremiah tells us that. Jeremiah 22, 24. It says this, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off. But now, He's promising that the king is going to be given authority again. And that's a promise that's still yet to be fully fulfilled because it's a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. So when we look forward, we look at the royal lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We look at his ancestors and who do we find? We find the ones that we would expect, of course. But then Matthew 1 verse 12, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. God's, God's vision for his people here in Haggai is a vision of this kingdom that will never be shaken, where God will reign himself with his people forever, where, where all nations will, will give over to him glory and he will give over to all nations peace. And we find all of that in Jesus. Right, so if we're, if we're cultivating the presence of God, he promises, he says, hey, I'm going to provide for you all that you need. But most of all, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself not just now, but in this kingdom that lasts forever when Christ, our king, returns and we reign with him over all the earth. Right, One day, one day our voices will join with these voices of, of, of all the redeemed of all time and we'll all say the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And that reign, that reign begins now in the hearts of all who would seek after him. It begins now. Let's pray. Our gracious God, your vision of this world, Lord, your, your vision of this church is so far greater and so far better than anything that we can imagine. So we pray, Lord, that you would fill our imaginations with the glory that you would bring about. Lord, help us dwelling on your glory. Help us to work towards that, that same vision that you have. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do all that you have called us to do and that you would bless the work of our hands, not for our glory, but for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.